The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Running from Grace, the Gospel According to Jonah. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we, so that we may not perish. When God, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. This is the word of the Lord. If you're just joining us, we've been working through the book of Jonah. It's a relatively short book. I'm sure you've probably heard about the story of Jonah and the whale, right? It's one of the most known but least understood stories in all the Bible. And what we've been discovering is that this book isn't about a whale at all, right? This book is not about a whale. Now, a whale or a large fish does make a brief cameo in three verses, right? He's in three verses, out of four chapters, and all we know about the Jonah is the whale, right? So it's not about a whale. This story is about the amazing grace of God that pursues sinners while they're on the run, okay? This amazing grace of God that pursues sinners while they're on the, on the run. And today, as we jump into the third chapter of this four-chapter book, we're going to get a glimpse, really an amazing glimpse, a glorious glimpse of what this God of the Bible is like. What's his attributes? What's his nature? What is he like? Now, A.W. Tozer once said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important things about us. See, that that teaches what the Bible teaches, that all of us are shaped, our lives are directed, our desires are directed by this image that we have in our mind and our hearts of who God is. Now, if we think God is cruel, we will either fear him or flee from him, but we'll never love him. And we saw the greatest commandment is what? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Right? So the only people that get into heaven, right, are people who love God, that want to be with God. So we're, we're in trouble there if, if we have this image in our mind of a God that we only fear. Now, if we think that God is like this being in, in, the, in heaven or in the galaxies and he's searching the earth for good little boys and good little girls to bless and the ones that he likes, he will give prosperity and comfort and the American dream to we will spend all of our days trying really hard to earn his favor. But we'll only be interested in what's in God's hand, not what's in his heart. 
right? We, we won't love him. We'll want a good life and we'll want good, obedient kids and we'll want a good, nice house and a good, nice job that meets all of my needs and a wife who meets all of my heart needs. Good luck with that. Never mind, I won't go there too much, right? But we want, so we're, we're interested in what God could give us, what's in his hand and not what's in his heart. We wouldn't love him. Now, I think we're going to see a better picture of who God is. He's not cruel. He's not a God just to be feared. He's not a God who's looking for good little people to bless. I think we're going to see a lot better picture of who God is. And I think what this passage of scripture is going to show us is a God who's three things. He's sovereign. He's gracious and he's on a mission. He's sovereign, he's gracious, and he's on a mission. Now, we're going to go through each of these really quick. And if you have your Bible, open it up, Jonah. We'll be in chapter 3 mostly. Your little app, you know, go to Jonah chapter 3 in your app. There's some Bibles scattered along the floor in front of you. If you need a Bible, I want you to go with us there. So we're going to go through all those things. God is sovereign, he is gracious, and he is on a mission from this text. We're going to go through this. Three things really quick. First off, Jonah shows us that God is sovereign. What does sovereign mean? Sovereign means God is in absolute, total, complete, 100% control of everything in the universe. Okay? That's what sovereign means. Psalm 115.3 says it this way. Our God is in the heavens. He does what he pleases. Boom. Right? He does whatever he wants to do. Whatever makes him happy, that's what God does. Now, Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay, he made it, he owns it, right? God is the sovereign king of the universe. Everything in the world, everything of the world, even the people who inhabit the world, they all belong to God. They're his, they're under his ownership. He's the sovereign king in control of them all, okay? That's what sovereign means. Everything that we see was made by his word. Everything is held together by his power. Everything was made for his glory to give God praise. All of creation does exactly what God wants them to do, except mankind. Now, since the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, and since Adam and Eve, mankind has pushed away from this sovereign king, right? We've rebelled. We've committed, as R.C. Sproul says, we've committed cosmic treason and we desire to live for our own glory. We've seen this in Jonah, right? The wind, the waves, the fish all obey the voice of the Lord, but Jonah runs, right? Everything in creation obeys God perfectly, but Jonah's on the run. But This is where we might get shocked by the sovereignty of God. Man's rebellion is still under the sovereignty of God as well. And God uses our rebellion to actually show us his graciousness when we deserve his wrath. See, if we didn't see that we are rebels and we deserve his wrath, we would never see his grace, right? God even used our rebelliousness to nail his son to a wooden cross so that we could see his love for us shown in real, real life, HD. See, we see this in Jonah. Jonah deserves a divine beatdown from running from God, right? Now, listen, if your kid is on him, as he's just bolting out in the street, right? In front of a car. Now, very few parents go after that kid, grab that kid from the car, boom, car goes by and they go, oh baby, 
come here, right? Most of them, that child is going to get disciplined, right? Number one, they scared mama to death. She's got to go change her britches, right? There's some problems, right? Number two, they've disobeyed. They've already been told not to go in the street. They ran in the street. They almost were hurt. So many times they're going to get disciplined, right? Now we expect this God to come after Jonah and discipline him. We expect this God to come after Jonah and kind of beat him down, right? Like, what are you doing disobeying me? Who dare you? The wind and the waves obey me. And you, oh man of dust, you disobey me. Who do you think you are? Right? But that's not What God does, God pursues him and captures his heart again and gives him grace in the belly of a whale. The apostle Paul, when he's talking about the sovereignty of God and the graciousness of God, he says it this way in Ephesians chapter one, verses three through six, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing and the heavenly places. Listen to this. Even as he chose us in him, that's in Jesus, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Okay, so there's this, God chose us before the foundations of the world. Now listen, in love, okay, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Listen, why? According to the purpose of his will, What does that mean? According to the purpose of his will, because he's sovereign. And when God makes a decision, he goes, Trinity, let's talk about it. Right. He, he goes to his own counsel. He doesn't go to human beings or his creation. He talks amongst himself, the counsel of his own will. And listen to this to the praise of his glorious grace. Why does he move sovereignly? Why does he choose people before the foundation of the world? Why does he predestine people to believe in Jesus Christ? by his own counsel to the praise of his glorious grace. So people would look up, they would chase the sovereignty of God and follow that thread up to an enormously, incredibly gracious God. And we would follow that up to the grace of God. Now listen, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, that's in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? The riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now we spent, I think when we went through Ephesians, we spent like three weeks on that little verse, right? Those three verses. So if you want to get into it a little deeper, go back and listen to that podcast. I don't have time to do it right now, but this is what I want us to see. God has sovereignly predestined us. That means sinners who've received grace through faith for adoption so that we would praise God's glorious grace. What does that mean? Listen, if I think God has accepted me and God has adopted me because I pulled myself up by the bootstraps one day and I said, from this moment on, I'm never going to tell a lie again. From this moment on, I'm never going to cheat on my taxes again. From this moment on, I'm never going to, you know, uh, speak abusively to my children or to my wife. From this moment on, I'm going to be a different man. And you know what? God, because I did that, God adopted me. He said, look there. Look at that boy right there. He's one who turned his act around. He's the one who got, he, he got his act together. He figured it out. He figured out how to vote right, right, right? We, yeah, we just came out of that this week, right? Some people think Jesus is, you know, on one side or the other. He's not. I'm just throw that out there, right? So, what, but what will we think? What will we think? 
If we think I've cleaned myself up, I've gotten better, and now God loves me, we will praise our own efforts. We will praise our own, I finally. And then when somebody comes to us and they say, yeah, I'm struggling with it, I don't know. We'll say, hey, get it together. Do what I did. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Start reading the Bible every day. Start praying every day. Start giving your money. Do better. Then God will love you. That doesn't, that won't chase that thread up to the grace of God. But the sovereign, gracious action of God does, right? When we go, I deserve nothing but wrath. Like Jonah, I was on the run and Jesus pursued me and overtook me and saved me. That's going to go nothing but the grace of God did that. And I followed up and it, it's to the praise of his glorious grace. See, grace is what causes us to love God. We were enemies of God until God adopts us, until God brings us from life to death. We were his enemies. Grace is what creates love and it's what creates praise and creates joy in our hearts that leads us to do all things for the glory of God. And that leads us to the third thing that we see about God. We've seen he's sovereign. Two, he's gracious. Three, he's on a mission. God, we say around here, God is missional. He's on a mission to change. In this text, he's on a mission to change an entire city. In Ephesians, he's on a mission to unite all things for his, to the praise of his glorious grace. He's on a mission to renew all of creation for his own glory. And here in this text, God is on a mission to change an entire city, and not just any city, Nineveh, right? Nineveh is, in this time, day and age, it is the biggest, baddest, most metropolitan city in the world, okay? Nineveh, in the first few verses of chapter 3, Jonah says it took three days to walk through the city, okay? It doesn't even take three days to walk through New York City, okay? This is a big, bad city. It's busy. There's a lot going on. Okay, Uh, I've said it already a few times that this city, Nineveh, is the modern day city of Mosul, Iraq. Okay, some things change, but some things never change, right? When God wants to show the world how sovereign and gracious he is, he chooses Nineveh. Now, I don't think there would be any city in the world that could prove God's sovereignty and his graciousness more than Mosul, Iraq right now, right? If he wanted to do something miraculous like this. So God chooses Nineveh. This, the, the, the impossibility factor is just through the roof, right? These are sworn enemy to Israel. These are people that are imperialistic. They want to take over the surrounding nations and expand the empire. And uh, Jonah's not having it, right? Right? And, but one, one thing I want us to see is, if God, if God could change a city like Nineveh, what can he do in the Quad Cities? If God can change an entire city like Nineveh, what could he do in Davenport? What could he do in Moline and Rock Island and Bettendorf and all the other ones that want to be a part of the Quad Cities? What could he do? Right? This story should fill us with great hope, with purpose, with excitement for the future of our city. That God loves cities. My, we, my, I took my son out to the shooting range and he's always like, all right, I don't know why he does this, but we're on the way out. He's like, all right, is, are we in the city or are we in the country right now? We're we in the city or the country. And he's like, where's it at, dad? Where's the line? And I'm like, listen, when you see more trees than houses, we're in the country. Okay, that's it. And that's kind of why God loves cities, right? Because in cities, there's more houses than trees. There's more people than, 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 than animals, right? And 
What does that mean? People are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. So there's more Imago Dei uh, per square inch in a city than there is out in the country. All right, so that's why God pursues cities. God goes after cities. We see the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts going from city to city to city to plant churches. Okay, that's why we're planted here in a city. Now, how does God go about changing a city? How does God change an entire city? Now, what we're talking about here, and if you've been around the church for a while, maybe you might want to use this word revival. What does a revival look like? I grew up in a church that loved revivals, right? For somehow, some for some reason, and the churches I grew up in, they thought they could plan revivals. They were like, "All right, we're having a June 9th through the 10th. We're having a revival. Show up!" I'm like, did God get that memo? That's great. He's just going to show up and do something amazing this day according to our schedule. Right? It doesn't really work out that way. Now, a revival or renewal, what we're talking about is when people come to faith, and a lot of people, all right, and people are in control of the city. So as more people come to faith, the image of God spreads out through the city, and then people take their faith wherever they go. That means if they're CEOs, they begin to run their companies like Christians with different ethics and different morals, and the gospel begins to shape that business. Okay, Maybe they give up some of their profits and start helping uh, uh, single mothers. I don't know, right? The gospel comes into effect in their life, changes the way they do work. They take it to city hall, right? They take, they take the gospel into their politics and it begins to change how they govern and how they shepherd and how they see their job, right? So that's what happens. God changes people, spreads throughout the city and God changes the city. That's revival. And just so anyone knows, if you ever drive past some of those churches and they say revival, no, it's not. You can't plan it. You, it's not done by man. We don't save ourselves. We don't change our own hearts. Only the Spirit does that. Only God does that. It's only orchestrated by God. So this is what I want us to see today in this text. When God wants to change a city, and I think, I, I pray, I know all the members here of Sacred City, we say, that's why we're here. We want God to change this city. We want God to change our cities, not just all my life, not just our home, not just my missional community, not just my neighborhood, but our entire city and all of our cities. And what we're going to see from this text is when God wants to change a city, he starts by changing a man. Chuck Swindoll, I, I live, he's an old preacher, and I heard him preach one time. I was sitting in this big conference. And he's this old cat, and he gets up. He's got this amazing preacher voice. Been on the radio for a long time. And he says this, when God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and crushes him. When God wants to do an impossible task, he takes an impossible man and crushes him. Well, that's what he's done with Jonah. See, Jonah was a nice religious boy, very moral, right? Buttoned up tight, right? Voted red. Jonah, conservative as they get, right? But Jonah had forgotten the depths of his sinfulness. He had begun to relate to God like he was better than others. He was looking down on the Ninevites. So when God God told him to go offer the Ninevites grace, go invite the Ninevites in, Tell them the wondrous mysteries of the gospel, right? And the riches of Christ, like we read in Ephesians. Go offer that free adoption by the sovereign, gracious goodness of God. Let them have the redemption that's in Jesus through the shed blood of Christ. Go 
Go offer that to the Ninevites, Jonah. Boom. He gone. Opposite direction. Right? Took off in the opposite direction. What a good preacher. He couldn't do it. The Ninevites were just too bad in his mind. They were too liberal. They were too immoral. There was no way Jonah was going to go to Nineveh and offer them the free gift of salvation and adoption into the family of God. In Jonah's mind, this is what he said. He saw a Ninevite. He would say in his heart, he probably never said this out loud because, you know, you learn just to feel these things and think these things and not to speak them out, right? Fear. Individual. So he says this. He thinks in his mind this. God can't adopt people like that. No. They are too bad. They're too dirty. They're too sinful. They're too wicked. They're too bent. God can't have people like that in his family, around his table, eating his dinner. No. I won't have it. So Jonah, Jonah took off. And then we've seen, right, just this sovereign God orchestrate, right, just like Whatever this guy's name is, what is he? Whatever, what he is, an orchestra, right? The guy in control of everything, whatever that is. I'm not a highbrow person, so I don't know what that guy is, right? Whatever he is, right? Gosh, why is my brain? Why won't he? Conductor! There it is. Two points to the guy down here. All right. God orchestrates all of creation to bring about this explosion of grace. In Jonah's life, now listen, this is what's key here. Jonah, a guy who already got grace, a guy who's already been adopted, already been brought in, he needed another explosion of grace in order to be sent out on this mission to bring the gospel to the Ninevites. He needed something different in his heart. And in the first two chapters, it's very interesting. If you, if you, if you want to read this, it's only four chapters, so I encourage you, go study it at home. If you want to read, look how many times in the first two chapters uh, the author writes down. We see Jonah go down to Nineveh. We see Jonah go down and get on a boat. We see Jonah go down in the bottom of a boat. Then we see Jonah thrown overboard. He goes down into the depths of the sea. He goes down into Sheol. He's going, the author is brilliant writing this story, and he's telling us When we're rebelling from God, when we're running from God, the the trajectory is down, 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 down. But then in chapter, end of chapter two, we see Jonah begin to rise through repentance. He's confessing his sin. He's seeing his sinfulness. He's receiving the grace of God. And we see him rise, 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 which culminates when he looks to the temple, sees a sacrifice, sees Jesus Christ who paid the price for him. And the way he has this explosion of grace. He worships. He says, salvation is of the Lord. It's not of man. It's of the Lord. And then this whale vomits him out up on the shore, right? This explosion of of grace. And I love this. See, the whale vomits Jonah up on the shore, and we think, put a pin in it. Story's over, right? Period. Oh, Jonah, he ran from God, and God threw him in the ocean, the sea, and it was tumultuous, and he got swallowed by a whale. Oh, but God, he prayed out, prayed to God in the belly of a whale, and he gets delivered. All right, it's bedtime, kids. Let's go to bed, right? But that's not where the story ends. He's been delivered. He's been rescued. God is clearly gracious. But get listen, church, God is not just gracious. He's not gracious just for gracious sake. God is graciously on a mission. 
He has a mission. So we see God barely let Jonah get the water out of his lungs and the seaweed from around his neck before he says the second time, all right, now you're back, go preach to Nineveh. Oh, you thought I forgot about it? No, go preach to Nineveh. And this time, miraculously, thankfully, Jonah obeys. So what happened in the belly of a whale? What happened down there, right? Jonah experienced an explosion of grace. Now, when I was a kid, when my brother and I wanted to blow something up, it was a common occurrence in my house, we made this thing called the works bomb, all right? And basically, you put this, I probably shouldn't say this. This is a good way to get arrested, by the way. I found that out the hard way as well. You take this bottle and you put in this chemical and then you put in aluminum foil and you shake it up in a two, two liter bottle and you go, we threw it in dumpsters and, and we threw it out in the field and we just wait for it to blow up. And then of course, as kids, that escalates to my neighbor's mailbox and I got arrested, okay? Let's just go there, okay? But let's use it for, let's, let's redeem this illustration. Just like our little works bomb, right? Just like this little works bomb, two simple chemicals, Two simple aluminum foil and this chemical, two simple ingredients, and it creates this. I really don't, I'm, parents, just teach your kids, all right? Don't do this. This is bad. But it's really cool explosion, right? It's deadly. It's dangerous. I don't want to, you know, don't do it. But yes, all right? Now, just like that, there are really two ingredients to an explosion of grace in a person's life. And we see these ingredients in the belly of a whale. Okay, we see these two things get mixed up in the belly of a whale that causes this explosion of grace in Jonah's life. And just so you know what I'm talking about, when I, when I say an explosion of grace, an explosion of grace does two things. It saves us and it sanctifies us. Okay, what does that mean? It's it, an explosion of grace. The first time I come to realize this, what this grace really is, these two ingredients, it saves me and it also shoots me out on mission. Now, let's get into that. What does that mean? What are the two ingredients to an explosion of grace. Number one, we've got to become what we despise. We've got to become what we despise. Now, what does that mean? Jonah, in the belly of this whale, realizes that he's just as rebellious, just as dirty, just as liberal as the Ninevites. See, in the belly of the whale, Jonah gets it. The penny drops Oh, those big, bad Ninevites. We always like somebody to point at, right? That makes us feel better about ourselves. Oh, the Ninevites, rebels. And then in the bottom belly of a whale, his eyes are opened. And he says, I'm just as bad. The people that I hate, the people that I despise, the people that I look down upon, the people that vote like that, people that parent their kids like that, people that let their daughters dress like that, people that drink that or smoke that or do that. He's pointing, 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 pointing. And he realizes that's me. I'm just as sinful, I'm just as dirty, I'm just as broken. He realizes in the belly of a whale, he's not an insider, he's an outsider to the grace of God. And then secondly, we saw last week, so he he became who he despised, he saw himself as that bad. And secondly, he had to trust his substitute. See, in in the belly of the whale, when he had become who he had despised, Jonah remembered the gospel and he looked to the temple. And that's the Old Testament version of trusting Jesus and believing the gospel. See, in the temple was where the sacrifices were killed for the covering of sin. See, Jonah remembered. These are the two ingredients. I'm a rebel. 
I'm a sinner. I'm a Ninevite. And my only hope is in the grace of God, my substitute. Those are the two ingredients. I'm a sinner and I have a substitute. I'm a sinner and Jesus Christ was better. See, Jesus is the only man who has ever lived who didn't need grace. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. But this is what's shocking. Jesus didn't use his sinlessness for his own benefits. See, Jesus could have been the richest king. He could have been the most powerful ruler. He could have been the biggest don the world has ever seen. But instead, Jesus becomes our substitute. See, Jesus takes our place. He pays our debt that we owe because of our cosmic treason. Jesus died our death when he allowed sinners to nail his hands and feet to a rugged cross. That's grace. That's Jesus. And if anyone gets that grace, it's in spite of our sins. The book of Romans tells us the wages of sin is death. Right? We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, Jonah gets this. I become who I despise. I, I see that I'm no better than the Ninevites. I'm just as broken, just as inherently sinful as the Ninevites. And then I, he trusts his substitute. He looks to the temple. He looks to Jesus by faith. And Jesus' righteousness, his goodness is counted for Jonah. And Jonah experiences this explosion of grace. Now, this is interesting. Because Jesus is going to kind of like God's going to like push on it. Okay, I want to make sure you get grace. I want to make sure it's not just a concept up here, but it's actually changed your heart. You've actually experienced an explosion of grace, a change in your nature, a change in your heart. So what does he do? Go back to Nineveh. We're not going off of that. The people that you despise, I want you to go there. Now listen, this is interesting. This is one way you know you've experienced an explosion of grace. When Jonah now looks at Nineveh, he doesn't see his enemy. He sees himself. See, for the Christian, when we look at a poor person, somebody begging on the street, we don't just see a poor person, someone begging, we see ourselves. Spiritually, that's how bankrupt we are. Spiritually, when God found us, we were worse than that. We were dead on a table, Ephesians 2 tells us. See, when a Christian sees somebody running from God, we should not go, look at that idiot running from God. We should go, that reminds me of me. I'm a rebel on the run from God. I'm the one who's spiritually bankrupt. I don't stand up here and look down on other people. We see that in Jonah. So how does God change a city? He begins by changing one man through an explosion of grace. Now I'm going to ask you, have you been changed like this? Have you experienced this type of explosion of grace in your own life? I'm not asking if, are you religious? You're here, I get it. You're here, right? I'm not asking if you believe the 10 commandments. I'm not asking uh, how well you follow those 10 commandments. I'm asking how gracious has your heart been made? <laughs> Right? How has your heart been changed by grace like this? Have you experienced this type of explosion of grace in your life? And one of the things that we're going to see, one evidence of being changed by the grace of God in our heart is that we are made into missionaries. See, 
Every single Christian, every single person that's put their faith in the grace of God and faith in Jesus Christ has been made into an image, into an image bearer and has been made into a missionary, been sent on God's mission. And how well you respond to that calling shows what's going on in your life, shows what's going, how responsive your heart is to the grace of God. Jonah shows us the evidence of an explosion of grace in your life. God sends you on a mission with his message. So you're a missionary and you take the gospel to people far from grace so they can come to know this sovereign, gracious, missional God who has loved them from all eternity. And he sent his own son as a missionary. Jesus was the missionary that came on our behalf and to be their substitute in order to adopt them into the family of God. Now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe I know what you're thinking. I know what some of you are thinking. That's a lot to remember first, what all what the gospel is. And you're not, I'm not a gifted order, right? I don't think I could tell people the gospel like that. Adoption, sent, font, Jesus, mission, missio Dei, mission, what? Right? I don't know if I could remember all of that. Well, here's the funny thing. Neither could Jonah. Neither did Jonah. Let's get to our text. I know it took me a long time to get there, but it's because it's just narrative. We're going to fly right through it. Look at verse three. <clears throat> so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh should be overthrown. That's it. Yet 40 days and Nineveh should be overthrown. That's not much of a gospel presentation. Now, what we're going to see in next next chapter is just a, a total twist in this book that very rarely gets thought about and very rarely gets preached because Jonah, he's had this explosion of grace, but he's going to have a backslide. He's going to go back and he's going to be ticked off again, okay, about the Ninevites. But what we see right here is, I don't know. I don't know how enthusiastic Jonah is. All right, go preach to the Ninevites. All right. In three days, God's going to kill you all. Deuces. I did it. Check it off my list, Jesus, right? Now, what matters is this. He's a Hebrew, right? He's one of God's insiders, God's chosen people, so to speak. And now he's in Nineveh. That's a big deal. He's going where he shouldn't be. He's going to a place that only a missionary would go to. He's going a place that he could be killed, right? He's going to a hotbed, right, of animosity. People, He's going there and he's sending a message from Yahweh, the covenant God of the Israelites, the God of all creation. This is a polytheistic culture. And he's saying this one God who you've offended, who you sinned against, he's going to come and destroy you all. All right. And this shows us, this is just unbelievable, that God uses our feeble efforts. It's never out of our cleverness or our knowledge that brings people to Jesus. Right? I've read this apologetic book and I've got this argument just down. Right? Some of you, I, I get presuppositional apologetics. I'm going to ask them the question behind the question, underneath the question. They'll bring out what they need to know about Jesus. Right? It doesn't work that way. God is the one who does the work in the hearts of people. We're faithful and he makes us fruitful. Look at verse 5. And the people, this is nuts. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, this is where we should go, what? 
Because over and over and over throughout this story, the people far from God believe God and the religious people run from God. The religious guy runs and doesn't believe God and the sailors believe God. And now this whole city of Nineveh believes God all the way down from the king down to the, you know, person in the streets, they believe God, they put on sackcloth. What does that mean? They just repent. They just throw ashes on their head and they go, Oh God, please forgive us. Oh God, we'll turn from our, our wickedness. We'll turn from our evil and our violence. Oh God, don't kill us. Save us. Now this is revival. This is a supernatural act of God, right? Three days, God's going to kill you all. I'm out. And they all go, no. Maybe God's gracious. I can imagine Jonah like. Theology just got flipped upside down. Right? There was no Billy Graham pleading, pounding on it. Play that song again. Play it again. Right? Come as you are. Come as you are. Play that song. I know there's one more person here that needs Jesus. Play that song again. There was no pleading. There was no manipulation. There was no, you know, If you were to die on your way home tonight, what are you going to do? Where's your soul going to go? There was none of that. There was the wrath of God's coming because you're rebels. I'm out of here. But the sovereign, gracious God chooses to grant repentance to these people and they turn from their sin. The people of Nineveh believed the Lord and salvation belongs to the Lord. We see in the... 13th chapter of the book of Acts, it says, when the Gentiles heard this, the gospel, they began to rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. And listen, it says this, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. The sovereign God appoints some and he brings repentance. He gives them repentance. And this is right here, how God changes a city. This is revival. You don't plan this. Right? You don't orchestrate this. This is a gift of God. This is citywide renewal. This is God's grace changing an entire city through one man and through one man's one sentence sermon. Now it takes me an hour and 15 minutes to even get anything across. Jonah had once, somebody like, we want that. One sentence sermon, got it, I'm out, right? Now listen, this is it as I close. I want to see for, for, Honestly, there's only two types of people in this room, okay? There's those who are far from God and you're outside the grace of God. You've never come to experience the grace of God in Jesus Christ, that he forgives all your sins. He gives you a whole new life in Christ Jesus. He gives you a new family, all this. You've never experienced that. You've been religious your whole life, uh, you know, but maybe. And some of you have been not religious your whole life and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's that type of people in here. And then there's this other type of person in here and you've, know Jesus Christ and he's forgiven your sins. But honestly, it's, it's been a long time since you've had an explosion of grace in your heart and you're not on mission. You're, you're just not on mission. You don't understand that to be a Christian means to be a missionary. That Jesus Christ was the missionary that came and pursued us as we were running from him. And now when we're saved, we go on mission with him We take this gospel to our friends and to our neighbors and to our family members and we watch God do the miraculous. That's what we see tonight, right? Today we saw four people, you know, have already believed and now they're being baptized, right? It's It's a miracle of what God has done. 
But here's the deal. I know if you're a Christian in this room, you've sat through arm-twisting, manipulative sermons that make you feel guilty about not being on mission. Okay? And that's not what this is. Because this is about a gracious and sovereign God who's on mission. Here's three simple things. Three simple things that change from this text, that change, and from the gospel, from grace, that change the way we do mission. Okay? Three simple things. Number one, and I'm just going to put this under uh, salvation-type language, what happens to us when God saves us, when God changes us. Number one is justification. What does that mean? It means this. I mean, I could go into it a lot, but for mission, it means this. You are already accepted because of Jesus' work and Jesus' mission. He's already saved you. He's already got you. He's already, you're already in the family. You're already saved. So we don't have to be all-stars. Do you hear that? You're already accepted by Jesus Christ, the perfect missionary. So you don't have to be an all-star. You don't have to have everything memorized to the barista and be able to go back and forth, right? You don't have to have, you don't have to be, say the perfect thing to your neighbor. You don't have to be this mission, this phenomenal missionary. Your righteousness isn't found in being a missionary. Your justification, being made right with God is not found in being a missionary. Listen, there are no A-team Christians and B-team Christians. And I, I was on the JV team my whole football career. I really want to be on the varsity team when it comes to Christianity. I'm going to go on a short-term mission. I'm going to wear a Jesus t-shirt. I'm going to put it on my back of my car. Right? I'm only going to watch VeggieTales. You are made right with God because of the work of Jesus. There is no earning it. So if you feel this guilt or the shame for being a bad missionary, which some of you, let's just say it, some of you are a bad missionary, right? That's, you're bad. That's why you need Jesus. And Jesus became bad for you. He was crushed for you so that you could have his life. That's justification. So Jesus doesn't look at you and go, bad missionary, want to squish you, right? He says, that's why I died for you. You're that selfish. You need to remember what I've done for you over and over and over. Okay. Now, how, what else? Sanctification. Sanctification is once we've been saved, we've been made into this missionary and now we're being made into the image of Jesus. So what that means in mission terms is every day we should be getting better at doing mission. We should get, be getting better at sharing our faith. We should be getting better at loving our neighbors. We should getting, be getting better at sacrificing for our family and for our kids. See, listen, in sanctification, it says this. You've been set free. Hear me now. Justification, you've been delivered from sin. You're saved. Sanctification is you've been set free from the slavery of sin. Not just the penalty of sin. Justification, you've been set free from the penalty of sin. We all deserve death. You've been set free from that. Jesus took your penalty. In sanctification, we've been set free from the, the, the pressure of sin, the daily recurrence of sin, the power of sin, okay? So I can resist sin now. I can feel really selfish and want to sit on my, on my couch with my adult beverage and watch Alabama win a close game in overtime. Oh, did that, how'd that get in there? Oh, my bad. Uh, I could want to do that, or I, since I have the power, since I have God's already set me free from the power of sin, I can also resist the temptation to be overly selfish and go hang out with my neighbor. Right? That, that's what it means to be a Christian. We've been set free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. 
Does it mean I'm going to be perfect? Absolutely not. Does it mean I can resist sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Lastly. And listen, when we're resisting, this is just show, how else are we going to show our neighbor who God is and what he's like? And I, I want to get in trouble for saying this. Hmm. The most God-honoring thing you might be able to do is go have a beer with your neighbor. Take the Jesus pin off, put it on the nightstand, and go have a real conversation with a real human being who's also been made in the image of God, who needs the grace of God just as much as you need the grace of God. And if you have this pushback to that, I would challenge you, what is the gospel doing in your life? How is your heart not broken for your neighbor? How is it not broken? Are you so afraid you're going to be corrupted by one sip of alcohol? Here's the third part. God fills us with his spirit. There's nothing, Paul says, that we can take into our body that corrupts our heart. Nothing. We're corrupted by what comes out of our heart. Religion, moralism. Pride, that's what corrupts us, right? I need a sip of whiskey right now. Listen, it's hard to say stuff like that. Listen, we've been justified, set free completely from the penalty of sin. We're never going to be judged again. Christians are never going to be judged again because Christ was judged for us. We've been set free from the power of sin. We're not slaves to sin anymore. I can have a beer and not get drunk. I can have a sip of whiskey and a cigar and not get drunk. And you're not losing your testimony by doing that. Lord, have mercy. You're losing your testimony by hiding in the basement, watching left behind. You're losing your testimony. You're not on mission. God sends us to our enemies. God sends us to the broken. He saves us so he can send us. God, Tim Keller says God is a spiritual tornado. He never sucks us in without sending us out. If you're saved, you're sent on mission. Lastly, he fills us with the indwelling spirit in salvation. What does that mean? You're never alone again. You're never powerless again. You never have to walk into a Starbucks or Dunn Brothers and think, could I really share my faith? Could God really save this person through one sentence? Could God really change my neighbor? Could God really do that? You're never powerless again. I'll tell you what, we got a new couple that moved into our neighbors. We've been praying for our neighbors for a long time. Their daughter moved in with her, my neighbor's kind of older. Her daughter moved in with her granddaughter and they moved into our neighborhood. And we've been praying for them and, and my daughter's been praying for them. And they came in, they brought their daughter, and her and Zoe, my four-year-old, got, got, got along really well. And they came back for another week, because they travel, and they, they were getting along really well. And then I meet the, the guy, he's from England, and he comes up to me and he goes, yeah, we, we moved down, we bought the house, or rented the house three, three houses down. I'm like, oh, awesome. He's like, yeah, we moved here because of Zoe. I'm like, what? Yeah, we moved here because we have Zoe. Our daughter loves Zoe so much. We, it's really important for her to have friends. We want her to be here around, around your daughter. I'm like, my four-year-old rebellious, sinful diva of a daughter is on mission. 
God, through His Spirit, uses ridiculous things. Now, man, this just pumps me up. The Holy Spirit in us can take one line. God's going to kill you all. The wrath of God's coming. The whole city gets, gets saved and changed. That's what the Spirit can do with our feeble attempts. And imagine if we actually love the people we're talking to. Now, what has God done in your heart? I'm just going to ask you as I close here. What, what, has he changed you? See, coming to church doesn't do anything. I mean, you're, you're here, you're under the preaching, you're under the grace of God, you're, you're being bumped into by the gospel and song and sacrament. So it does something there. But this, it's like, you know, the, the old saying, you know, parking or sleeping in the garage doesn't make you a car, right? Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. Having the gospel, the grace of God explode in your heart, that's what makes you a Christian. And that's what makes you a missionary. So has God changed you? Have you had this explosion of grace in your life? And if you have, right now, who's he sending you to? Who do you need to go tell about your story? Who do you need to go invite into your missional community or invite to this gathering or invite over your house for dinner or go, God forbid, sit in his garage and have a beer with him? Who is God sending you to? Who do you need to tell about? about trusting that the spirit will empower your feeble and weak efforts. If you, if you actually use Jonah's technique and it works, come tell me somebody walks in somebody's garage, you go, Hey, y'all sinner. God's wrath's coming. Can I have a beer? I want to see if that actually works. That would be great. Now, if you call yourself a Christian and you can't remember the last time you talked to an outsider about God's grace or the gospel, You're like Jonah and you need an explosion of grace in your life. You need a personal revival. You need this explosion of grace to give you a deeper awareness of your own sinfulness and an even greater awareness of God's grace in the midst of it. You need to be, you need to feel like Jesus overtake you. And tackle you down with grace. And honestly, that's what this meal, the Lord's Supper, that's one of the things it's meant to do. See, you aren't a perfect missionary. Most of us aren't even good missionaries. Let's just let's throw the word perfect out of there because that's just kind of a dismissive, oh, I'm not perfect. You're not even good. You're not even average. We had to put us on a test. Many of us are failing to be missionaries at all. You know, we're too busy. And listen, just posting stuff on Facebook doesn't make you a missionary. Okay? I better not get on that one. This week, I want you to check your heart. This week, I bet you were too fearful to share the gospel with someone. This week, you ran from God's mission like Jonah. God has strategically, sovereignly placed people in your life that only you, only your story and your relationship can reach for Jesus. Yet this week, I bet, you chose to stay home and stay comfortable. And if you really think about it, with everything that you've been given in Jesus, there is absolutely no excuse for that. 
We've got no excuse for that. Everything, we've been justified, we've been sanctified, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit to be on mission. But we choose, nah, not today. And yet in this meal, Jesus still comes to us. Where we fail to be on God's mission, Jesus is the perfect missionary. He still offers himself to us. We're still his. We're still adopted into his family. So take this bread and drink this wine this morning and trust our substitute. Trust our savior. Jesus is the missionary that we fail to be. Trust the one whose obedience hasn't just saved a city like Nineveh, but saved the whole world. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ gets saved from their sin and set free from the power and dominion of sin and sent on mission back into the world to tell others about him. So before you come to this table this morning, I want you to think about that. I want you to confess that sin of running from the mission of God, not loving your neighbors, not loving those people God sent you on mission to, and then come up here after confession and trust your substitute. Can you imagine if God set this thing up where I, I stood down here at the table and asked you like questions before you could have, hold on, how many times you share the, the gospel this week? Um, you know, like Jehovah's Witness, you know, they do that. More houses you visit. That's how you in, enter into heaven. Can you imagine? Six. I only, I only, I only did it six times. Go back in you. Go get to the back of the church. That's not what Jesus does. We've all failed him. See, I love the gospel because there should be, if you have any self-awareness at all, there's not one person in here going, I'm an awesome missionary. We're all going, no, I fail on the daily. And this is what I need. The body of Christ and the blood of Christ that covers my sins. Let me pray. Father, we are so grateful. You are a missional God. You come after us. You don't give us a ladder so we can climb up. If you throw a ladder out, you actually climb down it. You come rescue us. The sovereign, gracious, missional God, how good you are. I pray this morning that you would save people in this room. People have never heard the gospel before. Maybe they've heard it a thousand times, but today they've had that explosion in their life. You would save them. And for the believers in here, I pray that that explosion of grace would send them out on mission to their neighbors and their loved ones and their coworkers. And we would see God change our city like you did in Nineveh. We believe it, Father. So I thank you, Jesus, for taking this bread and breaking it and saying, this is my body that's been broken for you and taking this cup and saying, this is my blood offered for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the work you've done for us. Let us eat this meal like Christians this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.